0: I'm going to do, I think, a deep dive into Ephesians, and I'm going to do this because here's the deal. We need the Word of God in our mouth. I said in the email, and I meant it, I want to to preach, prophesy, and pray through Ephesians. I may do that mostly on my own and quit. I've never finished a series in my life. And so... I never have. I can't do it. It sounds really exciting to me right now. I'm pumped about Ephesians. But give me a week or three or five. I don't know. And so, um, but this book, let let me equip you a little bit with Bible because we need... I had a call from a pastor in Augusta, Life Church, Paul Andrews, great guy, doing a great kingdom work over there. He's like, Sam, are you seeing people fall away from the faith and struggle? I'm going, well, I am seeing it more in the media, not among us. We have had a couple of those, even pre-COVID. But um, he's seen a bunch of young people and various people fall away from the faith. And he said, it's not like I want to go into boring apologetics, but I'm a little stunned by the lack of foundation that's in the body of Christ. And so, um, especially the younger generation. And so... I, it's really stirred my heart to say, we love it all, that the young is worshiping and praying like crazy. They're even singing the word. They're doing social justice. But we want to make sure that they're grounded on the Bible too. And uh, the Bible's not boring. The Bi- this is the greatest document on the planet. And we want to pray it and prophesy it and we want to preach it. And so I'm just going to take a couple of moments to talk about arguably the greatest letter that was ever written on planet Earth. And, uh, and pardon my exaggeration, I'm actually quoting other people, but um, Ephesians is a unique book. And I'm going I'm to talk about why that is. But the first two verses are Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I go into this, I want to say this. I'm begging you to go slower in your Bible reading. Please go slow. Sometimes with our reading plans, which I'm a reading plan buffet reader, it bothers me that I can't read out of every, all 66 books every day. Not because I'm going to earn righteousness. It's just there's riches in there. And it drives me crazy. I can't. So I read from a bunch of places every day, but I'll sometimes get sped up so fast I'm missing the depth of phrases. And so I'm pleading with a lot of people, take your time Go real slow. Think through the words that are being said and the order in which they're being given. And I'm about to do that with just two verses right now. Ephesians is called the crown jewel of Paul's letters, along with, not alone with, along with Colossians because of both of their high Christology and high ecclesiology. Ephesians is, though, unique among those two books because it is not about a unique problem or a crisis. Corinthians, you got some serious issues going on. It's just chapter after chapter of junk that was going on. It's a pastoral correctional letter that teaches us well. Ephesians is not that. Ephesians is this pure letter of a counsel made from Paul that's really not dealing with any specific individual or specific hard crisis. Paul, as you'll remember, writes 13 letters. Nine of them are to churches, four to individuals. Ephesians is unique among the 13 because of a couple things. Number one, it's no local people or occasion that's mentioned. Number two, it's not about a theological or pastoral crisis. Thirdly, it was probably, I don't know if you know this, probably a circular letter. Ephesians is probably, because five to six of the earliest manuscripts do not have the word Ephesus in the introduction. And so this probably explains, let me say in verse number four, this was most likely the letter to Laodicea that's mentioned in Colossians 4. There's this letter mentioned. It says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from or to the Laodiceans. That probably was the book of Ephesus, some think. Because in the earliest manuscripts, it was left open. So it was Paul in prison in Rome writing probably generally, yes, to the Ephesians, but to the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. And that's such a unique synchronized thing. This is about 60 AD. The church is about 30 years old. Uh, The church in Ephesus is 20, 25 years old. They've gone through some stuff, but we're going to go, when John writes Revelation, it'll be, you know, another, it'll be 60 years old. And so, this is kind of at the upfront in some way that Paul is writing this to Ephesus, to Laodicea, to Smyrna, to these, these seven churches that are in this area. And so, it is a superlative letter exploding with the highest revelation in Christ. The longest sentence in the Bible is in Ephesians 1. Did you know that? Ephesians verse, chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, one sentence. And Paul can't help himself. da 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 comma, da 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 comma, the riches in Christ. He's just exploding. The Greek is so active here and exploding. And so a lot of commentators will call this a superlative letter. It's superpowered. It's super charged with Paul's passion for his gospel as he articulates it. Number six, two primary parts. There's one through three that's the heavenly revelations of our position in Christ. The word, and I'll show you, it, in Christ is used 31 times in three chapters. Then the next three chapters, which it would have been in chapters by Paul, it's the next half of the letter, are earthly manifestations. How, the first part is all that I am in him, the glory of who Christ is and who we are in him. And then it's, the next half is how do we do this on earth? How do we do it on planet earth? So, I'm encouraging you to read the book of Ephesians. Young people, read it and read it slow. Take your time. This is the Apostle Paul releasing his manifesto. His truth is in every one. But this one, He's unleashed. He's unfettered to deal with any issue. He's just exploding about the supremacy of Jesus and the glory of the church in it. Some have called it a prayer book. There's not only multiple prayers, but it's so intimate to Paul. It's like he's groaning out a prayer of praise as we read through this book. So the first two verses reveal three primary realities. I'm just going to set the table for you. We'll be done. It's the identity of Paul, it's the identity of the church and the root and fruit of these identities. So verse 1 is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now that may seem to you like just, hey, but listen, you understand, when we write letters, it's weird actually what we do. We sign the letter at the end. Paul does the logical thing. Hey, this is Paul. And so does that make more sense? We really tell the people who they are. Bob. And Bob's going, I know I'm Bob. What are you doing? And then he's got to look down at the bottom and go, oh, it's Sam. Anyway, that's not important. But Paul, right here, when he says Paul, he's making a declaration that he's not Saul. It's actually a declaration of identity. He was Saul, also known as Paul. Saul is his Jewish name, connected to his Judaizing days Paul is his Gentile name. It's his Greek, if you will, name. And in it, that shift, God didn't make the shift. He made it because he had had such a change in his life. And he's saying, I've been touched by the grace of God, and so this is my name and how I want to be known. And he'll say, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I am a special messenger. Apostelos. It is this, I'm a sent one, not for Christianity, not a new religion, but for the person, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And so, when he says this, and by the will of God, he's saying there's a sovereign purpose over my life. You can read more about it in Galatians 1. It's fun. It's like Jeremiah in Galatians 1, Jeremiah 1. Paul will say this, I was the Judaizer of Judaizers. I mean, I had excelled in college and in high school in the Jewish books more than anybody else. I was number one in my class valedictorian. I was killing it. And then when this Cult Jesus raises up. I'm persecuting the church like crazy. I'm doing the right thing because they got a fake and false Messiah. But when God, He'll say, but when God, who had set me apart in the womb, revealed His Son in me, I begin to proclaim the gospel. It's an awesome thing. You need to see it. But He'll begin to understand my destiny actually was set in my mama's womb. And it's true for you. Every one of you in this room has destiny on you because God thought thoughts when he made you in your mama's womb. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care how many times you've failed. Paul will call himself the chief of all sinners. But that doesn't undo that he's walking in a radical new identity. I'm not Saul anymore making my way through Judaizing. I am now a servant and a son of the Lord Jesus Christ and an apostle sent from him. This actually is a radical, radical declaration of a new identity. I'm asking you, are you walking in that? Are you walking in your new name? I'm prophesying. I told you, I'm going to preach, I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to pray. And it's going to get a little choppy. I'm prophesying over all of you that you have a new identity in Christ. That you are more than you know you are. That all of your spiritual warfare is trying to suck you back down into the Adam creature that you were and not the Christ creature that you are. And you're going to have to battle for this thing, and I'm battling for you right now. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You were set apart in the womb. God was thinking thoughts when he knitted you together in your mama's womb, and he's wanting you to dial in and to get in agreement with those. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you touch everybody in this room with a fresh revelation. Weary tired, wore out in finding their identity, I'm praying, in Jesus' name, just like Paul, he could see it all the way back to the womb. Would we see back through the failure, through the darkness, would we see all the way where you're thinking divine thoughts? And then in the redemption, God, I'm asking that you would bring forth the people of God's destiny in Jesus' name. Amen. The second phrase is, to the saints who are in blank or Ephesus, to the saints, Hagias. This actually is a big deal. This is Paul's favorite phrase for believers. Did you know that? He doesn't call us Christians. 39 times in 13 letters, he's going to call us saints. That's his favorite phrase for the church. You're saints, saints, saints. So, well, What does that word mean? Well, again, we know and we've battled against Catholicism, right? That set apart special people, they actually biblically know what it is, but they're trying to high and elevate. The issue is we're all high and elevated. We've all been, this is all it means, to be set apart, to be consecrated. He's saying, you believers, I don't care if you're struggling with sin, you're, in, you're down in depression, you are the saints of the living God. Because of the powerful work of redemption, he sets you apart, and you are a special race of people. You are a a holy people is what it really in its essence is hagias. This word, by the way, was used by pagan religions. Did you know that? People that were dedicated to pagan gods were called hagias. That's what they were. Oh, he's hagias. I'm gonna take my baby, my baby to die, Princess Diana, or whatever it is, the goddess Diana, and Hagias. He'll become a hagias unto Diana. Paul hijacks that word out of the culture and says, just as. They've been giving themselves to idolatry and other gods. Father God has dedicated you to Jesus. You are set apart, consecrated, a new order, a new destiny, a new reality. And so he will say, I want you thinking this way inside Christ. Think of yourself as a saint. And you've heard this before, and I'm just going to make an argument for it. Most believers are living in a condemnation condemnation culture thinking of themselves as sinners. They're thinking mostly what they're not, not who Jesus has made them. And that's a bit of a bummer. Paul's going to battle that from the big alpha to omega. And it's not just positive thinking. It's the root of reality of what happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been made something that you have barely scratched the surface and conceived what you are. Do you, you know what I mean? And we can give you all kinds of pictures and phrases, and you need to take them and to meditate about them. But you're going to rule and reign for billions of years on planet Earth in a resurrection body with Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. That's your future. But even now in the rough, in the tough and tumble of earthly tents decaying, souls getting distracted, you still are the sons and daughters of the living God. And so I like what people are saying right now. Most of us are running away when we struggle with pride greed lust and a lot from the dirty from the father when we should be running to him because you're not listen you're not a sinner that every now and then slips on something righteous and does something righteous you're you're a saint who sometimes struggles with sin and there's a real difference between how you think about that and how you go forward and so it's an identity shift in a radical way thirdly grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's introduction in all 13 letters. He'll add in 1 Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. But it's always grace and peace, grace and peace. He ends almost every letter with, he'll say grace and peace to you at the beginning. Then he'll get the end and he'll say, may grace be with you. May peace abide with you. What's the big deal? Does everybody know what the big deal is? The way that the identity shift happens in all of our lives is through the grace of God. Keras, that word means, there's no way around it, unmerited favor and kindness of God. And it's not just God in a good mood, I'll look the other way. It's God working, working. He attacked, I'm telling you, Jesus attacked death. He attacked it. It didn't just get on him. He like, it came at him and he ate, well it says swallowed up in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15. He swallowed up death. He attacked sin for us. That was grace, unmerited favor coming after the enemies of God. Grace, grace, grace. If you need to get rooted in everything, you got to begin to, God, reveal grace to me. Get me rooted in the grace of God. This is how Paul deals with an overactive conscience that he's the chief of sinners. He overcomes it because he's rooted in the grace of God. I wonder if you are. I wonder if the grace and the unmerited faith and his kindness towards you is the position you're in when you're walking in him. And when it happens, it begins to release biblically what was shalom. Shalom is a huge deal in the Old Testament of the increase of his government and shalom, peace, there'll be no end. Shalom is what Israel is looking for. That's not just everybody being nice. It actually, that word means fullness of health and life. And that is the piece that he's talking about. And he says this is the fulfillment of what was talked about in the prophecy. So, may you all walk in the grace of God. You all have been extended the grace of God, whether you're swimming in it and possessing. You you may not be cashing the check, but you've got it. He loves you. And his grace was when you were unsaved, it's while you're saved, it's when you're later and you're still struggling. Grace, grace, grace. The unmerited favor is coming towards you. So, Father, extend your grace towards your people. Let them walk and be rooted in your unmerited favor. God, I pray, undeserved, take us off the hamster wheel. Take us off the work clock trying to get you to like us. I pray you overwhelm your people by your kindness and your love and the freedom of what you give us. And let peace break out everywhere. Ephesians chapter 2 will say, Jesus is our peace. You are the prince of peace. I'm just asking, break anxiety. Break that lack of wholeness off of us because of what you've done in Christ. These three things are at the headwaters of this deal, and I'm telling you what this book is. This book is a massive identity changer. And all through it, you're going to read in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's going to reshape your mind and your heart as you think it, read it, and you pray it. Amen and amen. I like the Bible. I don't know if I've mentioned it. I love to read it, read it slow, marinate it on my heart, pray it, soak it, think about it. I love it it in a lot of versions. I like it in sautéed. I like it fried. I like it boiled. I like it just Word of God. Ah, love, love the Word of God. It's the, it's the power. And I'm telling you, I just last, last little, I'm begging. We're not going to stand in these last days unless we're rooted in the Word of God. And I don't mean doctrinal death and orthodoxy disconnected from orthopraxy. I mean lovers of the Word of God. Lovers that love and meet God in the midst of the Scriptures, and they come alive Teach your children how to do that. Take your heart deep in it and begin to just, uh, yeah, live from there. Amen. Great.